Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. We have a special guest with us here today, both for books and business and for the main content of the episode. Whoop. Dr. Doug Brown, welcome. It's good to be here. Yes. And uh, let's see. How are you guys doing? I'm caffeinated. I'm drinking some exquisite coffee Coffee again. Ruby Roasters. So, Tannis. Unofficial sponsors, Ruby Coffee Roasters and where where did it come from? Uh, Luke Tannis sent it as a gift. I, he sent me a, a quad of coffee bags, and I'm on my last one. This one is uh, Peruvian and Colombian, and it's it's quite nice. You drink so much coffee. I do. Like you vanquished that can that I sent you. You it was like one third full. <laughs> Watch your mouth. Vanquished. Vanquished. <laughs> I will be proud to be known as someone who vanquishes cans of coffee, Tim. And as I drink <laughs> my light roast from Porchlight Coffee House oh, yeah. in a brick house. Coffee Co. Mug. Mention our other unofficial sponsors, Brickhouse and Porchlight. Any unofficial sponsors you'd like to mention, Dr. Doug? Well, I think the God, he has water. Faith Baptist Theological Seminary? Yeah. Coffee blends. So I'm just a user. (laughs) Oh, my word. Don't do that when I'm taking a sip. I'm going to spit all over my coffee. So here's what's in this episode. We're going to have a couple of announcements (laughs) of some new article electronic ink things that you can read this week. We're going to have some weekly wisdom by Stearns. We're going to interact with some listener thoughts from Brianna Hake. And then we are going to do that thing we always do. We're going to talk about some books before we get to the main topic of the episode, which is Dr. Doug telling us how to, uh, what God's expectations are to honor aging parents. And so let's move on to some announcements. There's a Faith Pulpit article of this content, so preparing for life's final transition, God's expectations to honor aging parents, and that is already available on the Faith Pulpit website. If you scroll down to the notes of this episode, there is a link where you could go and read the sage-like advice (laughs) of Dr. Doug Brown talking about how to minister to your parents. In the context of our episode, he walks through uh, his personal experience over the last year in this realm, and so uh, has a lot of great advice and wisdom for us there. Any things you want to say about the faith pulpit right off the top? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times faith pulpits are just very impersonal, but this is very personal because over the last four years, um, both will be not only taken care of, but also just having my, both my mom and dad and then my wife's mom and dad pass away and kind of just walking through that with our families has been super impactful on us. And so that article just kind of put together just some pearls of wisdom that we learned as we were trying to walk through that process. Awesome. And then the second thing that's being posted this week is an article, an electronic ink that I'm posting on our Thinklings website called Cliff Notes on Cars. And uh, talks about the saga of my personal vehicles and uh, tying that to some other ideas uh, that I've been meditating on recently. And so you can read that. So this episode's coming out on Tuesday. That will drop or post on Friday. Mm -hmm. And I encourage you to go read that. It should be uh, short and sweet and uh, hopefully a blessing to you. 
And uh, yeah, is there anything else I should mention about that? It's just, it's really well written and I really personally appreciate it. I just want to say that on air, like I really appreciated it. So thank you. I should mention, yeah. so yeah. the the inception of it was, and we've always tried to write a little bit together. And I was at work one day and I had actually read one of Andy's blog posts, Electronic Inks. And, uh, and the original idea was I wanted to write something just to encourage Andy uh, with what he was going through. And he did. And so I re I wrote it and I just is in a Google doc and I just sent it over to Andy for him. And then, uh, as we started thinking about writing more in 2024, just, that, man, that's good. Mm. Mm. And, uh, thought, well, we have something that's already <laughs> written here. Why don't we post that? And so listener, we, we got a pretty good eye roll from Tim over there. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good. Low hanging anyway, fruit. So you can read that faith pulpit right now. You can find that. And then I might put the link to the other article in the show notes, but it just won't be live until Friday. And so be aware of that. Sometimes you think of the seminary Dean as a position of great severity and seriousness. Mm. And if you know Dr. Doug, you know that's not his personality. But then when Tim makes silly comments like that, we all get to see Dr. Doug's lighthearted <laughs> side where he laughs at Tim. Yes. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> so this week's Weekly Wisdom is a quote from a book I'm reading. I've been working through uh, This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. And I'm probably like a third of the way through it. And this quote was interesting. So he's, he's talking about the nature of marriage being both temporary and then also very important. And he just, he said this, he, he's talking about all kinds of stuff and it. There's a lot of good little um, helpful thoughts in it. And so he says this, he says, so I argue that staying married is not mainly about staying in love. It's about covenant keeping. If a spouse falls in love with another person, one profoundly legitimate response from the grieved spouse and from the church is this. So what? Your being in love, and that's in quotes, with someone else is not decisive. Keeping your covenant is decisive. And there's another place, and I don't have the quote here, but he says, how do you know you married the right person? He said, I know a perfect way to find out. Flip your marriage, like get your marriage license out and see whose name is on it. And he really pushes back against the romantic thoughts of our culture. And so, listener, think about that today. If you're married... Uh, desires, feelings, all that stuff, ignore it if, if it's going the other direction. If you're not married, though, this is what to aim for, okay? This is what you should aim for in marriage. Dive in. Comment. Tim looks like he wants to say something. Well, until after like the uh, marriage covenant contract. <laughs> I know, I know. So Piper, I'd like to read him some more. I think he's got some interesting things on, on that discussion. But also what surprised me after that episode, a couple of people contacted me and they had this idea that, mar this, this idea that marriage was eternal. And I don't know how oh. popular or prevalent that is. That yeah. People think that they're going to still be married to their spouses in heaven. In Mormonism it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, the but... Bible clearly says the angels aren't given to marriage. I know. I yeah. And since we verse. become angels when we die, of Clearly, we're not going to be married. You are horrendous. <laughs> well, listener, Tim's so head bad. literally... I I'm saw, like having a real serious conversation. I can see the vein going from Tim's like eyebrows up to his, his forehead. Sorry, keep going, Tim. Keep going, Tim. It's, it's just that, you know, I took him to that ver verse and they, they were very receptive to it. It was just kind of like a deja vu moment for them, though, how yeah. they always thought that it, marriage was going to be this eternal thing. And then yeah. they're like, oh, it's not. So... Dr. Newman 
tells a story about he was doing he does he did a lot of premarital counseling, but someone came in the middle of his class pounding on the door, Dr. Newman, Dr. Newman. I, I, and like almost like and he's like, hang on a second. He told this class, hang on a second. He went over to the door and and the students like, I just read in the book that you assigned to us tonight that that I'm not going to be married forever to my wife. He interrupted and class. He interrupted class <laughs> to talk to Dr. Newman about this. And Dr. Wow. Newman goes, that's right. And the guy just goes, oh, that's news to me. <laughs> oh, and, then were, and then he left. He came and he left. so, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I, I actually, yeah. Ephesians 5, I think it really, yeah. really helps you to see that mm-hmm. the purpose of marriage is depiction of Christ. In church. It, it is yeah. a reflection of and, that. And that's where Piper starts. And that's that's what this book was so helpful for me is he he started with Ephesians 5. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's like a good thing. I know this is not the point of the episode, and maybe this will be my books and business and I won't talk later. But if marriage is permanent and eternal, then it takes on ultimate status in your life. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? And so yeah. you're going to treat it like an idol. Yeah. But if marriage is temporary, you might think, oh, you're going to be dismissive and not treat it well. But I think it just properly orders it right. in the economy uh-huh. and it doesn't allow you to love your spouse more than you love God. Mm-hmm. So right. I, I think his, he may, he has a, a number of these little paragraphs where he's dropping truth in a way that would sink in. So this is, I think that would be a good meditation for our listeners this week. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Whoosh. Moving on to listener feedback here. We had Brianna Hake emailed us and we'll go ahead and just read that here. I was wondering if you have any recommendations for a good Bible study I'm looking for one that I could go through for my devotions. I did Changed Into His Image by Jim Berg last year and loved it, so I'm looking for something with a similar depth that would take a similar amount of time every day. What do we think? Boy, uh, I'm not the devotional guy. I actually don't know a lot of devotions off the top of my head, so I don't know if I would have that, but I would say you could like, do a Bible reading plan and do the observation, interpretation, application. Um, that would probably be good, but I, I know there are good devotionals out there. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Tim, or you, Pastor Brown. So I really like uh, encouraging people to get into the Word. So a devotional book that's going to help you do the steps of observation, interpretation, and application. Uh, one that I, a series that I recommend the most would be the Lamplighters series. So you could pick a of book of the Bible. Huh. They ask probing questions because a lot of times, especially if you're just beginning the steps of observation and interpretation, you're not sure what kind of questions to ask about the text. Uh, It would be good for you to get to the point where you don't necessarily need something like that. But let's be honest, especially when I think she says like she's a senior in high school Mm -hmm. or something, um, having a tool to help. Uh, And I'd say like the Lamplighter series is a good series that I frequently recommend. They provide answers to their questions in the back of the Mm. book. Uh, so hmm. uh, it makes you think through it, but it does also then give you an answer to kind of help you out. Understand that a lot of their question and answers, there's some interpretation that's yep. going on there. That's why I really like think through the question part of it, okay, without finding the answer. Um, and because that cognitive component is what I think is very nourishing to your soul, which is what's so helpful about Bible study. So that was the one that I was going to throw out there. I like that. I like that. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, um, I I love doing topical studies, but I actually think what might be more profitable is reading through like books of the Bible. And so, if you just because it would help build your biblical literacy, 
And so maybe trying to find, um, there's tons of Bible studies out there where actually you could do a Bible study and actually a guided work through a book of the Bible. And then as you read it, you're actually kind of building more of your kind of like the narrative of the Bible. You're kind of understanding the the storyline of the Bible better. I think that long-term you'll appreciate that um, more than just a topical study, but both are valuable. Anytime you read the Bible, it's valuable, but uh, I think just reading through books of the Bible might be more profitable. And I would say if you've built your biblical literacy, that's probably a better time. Now, I wouldn't say don't do it, but it would be a better time for the topical because then you're basically systemizing all that other stuff. Yes. And you can build theologies of different topics that could be very helpful. Yeah. And just a couple other <clears throat> titles. Jim Berg does have another very similar study oh, yeah. called Created for His Glory. And almost the the student workbook is it would look almost identical to the changed into his image. And then there's another, I can't think of who it's by, but Seeking Him is the name of it. And again, very similar, you, you know, know. Nancy Lee DeMoss. Is that who's the yeah, Seeking Him? And it's a very well-known Bible study. A lot of churches work through that mm-hmm. one. I've heard good things about it, but I have no experience with it. The, we, When I was in college, uh, Pastor Lance, we all the students got them and we kind of went through them like sequentially throughout the year. And I remember it being okay. Uh, I don't really remember any big part of it, but just a couple of, if you want something almost identical to what you just did, those would be two titles very similar, but I would agree with all these guys, you know, spending time in the text rather than in a book talking about the text is, is going to be a better option, but not, not that one's right or wrong. Yeah. As you're growing, yeah, you might need the help. And then we've got, you want to mention that other thing? Oh yeah. So Brianna also wrote me about, um, about uh, how to do a topic study. Um, so uh, I mentioned about studying biblical femininity, and she's like, well, how do you go about doing that, doing like a topic study? So appreciate that input, and uh, we may make that a content in the future. So we'll see how that develops, but really good input. Thanks for writing in, and keep sending in those questions to us. And then just because it's on my mind, Brianna, I think you've sent me two emails, and I have 537 in my inbox, and I am going to reply one day. I just want to let you know that. Sorry, it took the podcast to tell you that. <laughs> Tim, horrendous. Thank you. I was like, I need a horrendous for that one. <laughs> yes. I'm glad Charlie's not the online guy right now because I would probably have a meeting in his office with him. <laughs> <laughs> who would, who would do online directing? That sounds wretched. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, get to that thing we always do. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. Oh, yeah. Uh, so our family is reading. Well, we decided to do something um, recently where so not everybody in my family likes to read. So we were trying to get some of my younger kids into it. And so um, actually, my oldest daughter, Krista, has been pushing us to read together. And so we're actually started nice. to read the Chronicles of Narnia. So we're in the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so we read about three or four or five chapters, and then we get together and we actually sit around and talk about it, like in the living room or something like that. That's and, so cool. And it's it's been, it's actually been really fun to be able to just sit down and, you know, we've, we kind of watch the movies together. So then we kind of like talk about how the book is different and, and just different implications of things. And uh, we have a I don't know where I got this book. We have another book that actually kind of helps you to think through each chapter. It like kind of gives a summary kind of like of some of the symbolism in the book. And so we're actually reading that too, to kind of like huh. put the pieces together. What's the name of that? Do you yeah. know? Oh, it is. 
I I wish I I I, I can it's see not, the book. Is it Into the Wardrobe by that's, David yeah. Downing? Um, that's not friend of the podcast. <laughs> you want? I, I will I will I will get the title to you guys and let you know what it is. But I I I just don't remember the title of it. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 just it's very interesting. It actually goes through all of the books and actually has summary wow. like kind of like a paragraph mm. or two for each chapter and helps you to oh, kind of yes. see the storyline and no, we some need of that. the the symbolism yeah. that's there. So then um, you said we're in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Is that because you started there or because that's how far you are through it? Well, Answer we, we had someone carefully. over for dinner um, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the order we should read the, the, the oh, books. Brother. And we decided to read them as they were published. Yeah! Was that you? I don't know. I don't know. Who it was, was it? you. Was it? Yeah. No way. Remember that? I do remember that, so that was like that, more than a couple of weeks that ago. That started a conversation in our family. And then we were like, why don't we read it together? See? And we were convincing my youngest daughter because she, she's not super into reading. And so we convinced her to do it. And so she's loving it. Oh, and so now awesome. we're trying to cultivate that. <laughs> well, there's another podcast that's all about C.S. Lewis. And if they heard this, they would tag me and say, not all heroes wear capes. Talking pints. I'm talking about pints with you, oh, brother. <laughs> Us and them, we go back and forth on this. At so, some point, so. at some point, they're not listening to this, but at some point, we will. We're gonna collaborate. It's gonna with collaborate. Them. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. Not just I'm a publish publication order. I know that's kind of nerdy, but I think that's fun to go through that, and especially with that resource, and then talk about things. That's <clears throat> my kids and I had lots of talks going through. There's just low hanging fruit for like virtues and morals and bravery and like. Edmund is, you know, his whole character of like how he does the wrong thing. And that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. And it's not hard reading. It's easy. No, no. It's super doable. Me? Yeah. I thought you were second. Well, no, you had your finger up. No. Oh, you're telling me to go. Yeah, Yeah. I'll go next. Okay. So for my book this week, I'm still reading This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. It's a super small book and I'm reading super slowly in life right now because I'm very busy. So I don't have a lot more to add than what I said earlier other than... It is, it is very helpful, and I think it's a pretty good one so far. Is it the only book I'd ever recommend on marriage? No, but I think it's not a bad starting book. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Meaning of Marriage by Keller once. That one I like. I really that, I would say read Momentary Marriage, <clears throat> and then there's probably other books that I need to read on marriage. I probably there's a should lot go of them out kick. there. Like I, I've never read Harvey's When Sinners Say I Do. That's like a class. I know. We did that at church how many summers ago, and I was in another room. Or I used that um, for premarital counseling. Yeah, so I, that's on my list. So I, that's where I don't know. Do I put Keller ahead of that one? I Dave Harvey's Are You Called book was so good. I feel like I want to like keep Harvey. I know it's a little controversial, but have you read Gary Thomas's book? Sacred Marriage, that's one of my favorites. Okay, so you have read that one. Yeah, so Robin and I read that. Oh man, way back in the day. And actually the thing about that book that was so helpful is because he makes the point is what if marriage is more about holiness than happiness. Right. Mm-hmm. And Piper's saying, what if it's, you know, not about romance, it's about covenant. So they're kind of saying some similar things. So in his chapter on falling forward, like when you have a problem, like make sure you're moving forward as it's, there's a stumbling that was really good too. So anyways, this momentary marriage, I'd recommend it. All right. So Oosh. I'm going to rank a book here. So the title is Why We Love the Church, and it's written by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Kluck, published by Moody in 2009. Man, that's a classic. Yeah, and so I actually started reading it on December 26th, also known as... Booksing Day! Booksing Day! (laughs) Can that be the audio for Booksing Day? (laughs) Maybe. So... 
I don't know I don't, if you're aware of this, Dr. Doug. We created a holiday. We did. Oh, boy. So we're reclaiming the secular holiday of Boxing Day. And instead of boxing, you're not boxing anymore. You're booksing. So you're reading or gifting books. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. And we've actually had listeners do this. We're They're not like, Canadian, so we don't really give a rip about Boxing Day. <laughs> oh, my word. We probably have Canadian listeners. Yeah, we do so. have some. I I'm think sure they're offended. I think that there are other... <laughs> Tim is not a diplomat. I, I don't think Boxing Day is a Canadian thing. It, I think it's broader than that. Is it, I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever. Is it like Commonwealth? We like don't need to get into it. Okay, anyway. So <laughs> well, that's when I started it reading it. Charlie's rating the so, book. So uh, we talked about Kevin DeYoung previously. He is a Presbyterian church. Or Presbyterian, he's not a church. He is a Presbyterian <laughs> pastor. He is currently the pastor of Christ Covenant Church. Or did he move? He is moving. He made the big move. What? Who are you talking about? Kevin DeYoung. Kevin DeYoung. I'm sorry. I, I, I thought you said Keller. <laughs> oh no 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 no, Kevin DeYoung. So I believe he was also a Presbyterian pastor. <laughs> wow, I literally thought okay. So I think he's at Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, from 2017. He might be at a different church there. I pulled this bio right off of his website, uh, and so hopefully it's somewhat correct. What's fun about him? He actually pastored in Iowa at one point. He was a church at First Reformed Church of Orange City. And so these he's, guys can't get control. I know. Of I'm trying to reclaim. I know. It, I'm with you, I'm Charlie. I'm right here with you. I'm so okay. Sorry. Hush, hush, you. Okay. Um, and so, uh, other other books that he's written that are semi popular: "The Hole in Our Holiness," "Crazy Busy," "Just Do Something," and then this this book, "Why We Love the Church," is sort of a companion to why we're not emergent. And so they were writing a book criticizing and speaking against the emergent church, which is a movement that just doesn't like the institution of the church. So the membership, the voting, the, you know, all, all of that side of it. And that's, a, and also the orthodoxy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so um, what they're talking about in this book is rather than being emergent, why you should be a part of the institution of the church uh, recently, actually, I don't know if we've even posted this episode yet. But as you read a book, some parts of it are probably more valuable than others. And so some of these chapters are written by Kevin DeYoung. Some of them are written by Ted Kluck. And I don't know Ted, but I'm just going to go out and say, you probably don't need to read those chapters. That's so funny. I read that book like 15 years ago. And that's the thing I remember <laughs> about it. Like the same thing. Yeah. And so now I could be, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe Poor you should, could read those and you could well, get a lot out of it. They weren't bad. It was just compared to Kevin's chapters. It, and yeah. I think it was the contrast. And so there are some good, some really good thoughts here. Um, so kind of just to set the tone of the book, if Christ is the foundation for the church, why do Christians want the foundation only? In marriage, if Christ's bride is the church, why do Christians want to befriend the husband and, and hate the bride? And so like he's he's talking about if your friend gets married, you can't like hate your friend's wife. Like that would end your friendship. You can't just have the the friend and not their spouse. And so that's kind of how he, I think DeYoung teased that up in the introduction is that the church as an institution is the bride of Christ and you can't have, you know, Christ as the head of the church without the rest of the body. Mhm. And so that kind of sets the tone and the map of the book. There's some good thoughts here. He interacts with like the mission of the church. And so do we have to be out there, you know, with the social agenda or not? 
Uh, he interacts with, you know, distaste that people have towards the institution of the church. And I think fairly interacts with it. Um, without getting into all of the details there, I do think that he walks through some things that are worthy of thinking about. So I'm going to rank it a three. I think it is good. Uh, it's maybe not, you know, a three is not a seven, right? And so <laughs> just quite simply. And so it, it's it's a good book to think through criticisms of the institutional church, problems that people might have levied against the church, that this would help arm you with good ways of answering those criticisms. Um, it would help you think through the true mission of the church and how that's not only or purely evangelism. It's going to help you think through your function within the church and the necessity of the congregational worship meeting. And so those were the things that I was reminded of or thought were good points of the book. And so I'll rank it a three on the goodness scale, Why We Love the Church by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Cluck, but mostly <laughs> Kevin DeYoung. I like that. I like that ranking a lot. I just want you to know, like that was a, that was a solid ranking right there. It's a good book. It's, it's worth it, but it, it's, yeah. I haven't read it. Is the scale 10? Mm-hmm. Yes, but okay. it's, but 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 like a three is good. That means there's goodness in it. So would you are, say are, you are have to get s- to like a a five to buy it or something? Or well, usually it's like a seven. Okay. Yeah. So, but if it's something that you're interested, anything in, on the goodness scale is worth, good. Yeah. So if you're not recommending it, we have another place to put that, which we have affectionately called the Shack Stack. After Remember the, shack? the very popular <laughs> evangelical book, The Shack. And so if you have a book that is not good at all, we shack stack it. Yeah. So, so nobody should buy it. Gotcha. gotcha. So if it's on the scale. So you have scale, like a negative scale too. Yeah. That, well, we don't. We just have the shack stack. No. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's, it's all the negatives <laughs> in one place. Yeah. Stack <laughs> together for convenience. Yeah. They're literally sitting over there on the ground. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but, but is that's why it's the, the goodness scale because there's uh, all, there, no matter what, there's goodness on it. So. so if we read something and we think nobody listening should ever read it, shack stack. If we're willing to give it a one or a two, it's it's valuable, but it's probably pretty it's like uniquely valuable. For research purposes only. You know. But once once we get yeah. to like a seven, that's a book that we think everyone should buy. And then an yeah. eight, a nine, or a ten would be like, you probably want to read this like once a year. You, it's it's, it's a, a very frequent uh, flyer there. Yeah. So. It's, a, it's a good scale. It's very unique. And it's yeah. very quality. But that's how books are. There, there's levels of goodness in books. So I think it's actually a better scale than like, Five is good and down from five is bad. So mm-hmm. brilliant, uh, brilliant idea. So my book for books and business <laughs> is Who Wrote This by Naomi Barron. The subtitle is How AI and the Lure of Efficiency Threaten Human Writing. When I was at ETS this uh, last November, Nimit Oliver mentioned this book and recommended it. Uh, connecting to this idea of AI and generative AI uh, being able to write short stories, being able to uh, write papers for students, and how that's a bit of an issue. So she's uh, discussing just some of the pros and cons to artificial intelligence. This is coming out of our Q&A last night. Uh, she mentions this, um, the lure of efficiency, and how AI can create an article or write a uh, uh, essay for say like a student a lot faster and do a better job than what a student could produce. Um, guys, why do you assign a writing? Because writing is thinking and I want them to think okay. and it's going to help them to think. So then 
the purpose of assigning, say, like an essay or a two-page paper or whatever um, is not necessarily for what they create. Mm -hmm. It's because of what it's going to do to them Mm -hmm. from an intellectual perspective. And I would say a, a staple of good education would be understanding the difference between a summative assignment and a formative assignment. And an essay could be either or both at the same time, where you want to see summatively what they know about a topic, but the writing of it is a formative assignment where they think the topic through. And I think most students assume an essay is only summative, where I assign writing for almost purely formative. I want the the weekly process of them writing and thinking through a book to form the way that they're thinking about the topic. Mm-hmm. So I remember, go ahead. Well, it, it's also something that is cumulative or it, 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 it's so like when you first started, it's very, very difficult, but the more you do it, the better you get and the more you grow in that. So it's, it's not just like a one-time deal. It's something that actually takes time. And so as they write and write and write, they get better at it, which is then going to better equip them mm-hmm. for yep. ministry. Yes. I remember Dr. Myron Houghton, uh, he had many of his classes organized a specific way where they, he would have a reading and then you'd have to write a yep. one page single spaced mm-hmm. summary Classic. or analysis or critique. He would change the verb on the reading. And the whole purpose, I realized the whole purpose of that one page single spaced assignment was because it forced you to think about the reading more and thus it was helpful for you. So this is where AI is basically helping our students be stupid. It's I had not... a professor once who made us outline Kevin Van Hoosers. Is there a meaning in this text? That's a good book. And we're like, this is so dumb. Just it read, wasn't. Read Gottimer first, then you'll love Van Hoosers. Yeah, I know. It's... <laughs> that was it's a breath of fresh air. So that was Dr. Doug for all of those wondering. <laughs> So when it comes to brutal assignment, (laughs) brutal. So when it comes to AI, AI, I think can be used and it can be helpful. I do use AI. Uh, However, for students and using it to accomplish um, writing assignments in an academic environment, you are hurting yourself and you are, uh, uh, what's, what's the word? You're missing the point of the educational experience by using AI. So uh, she realizes that and she talks about, well, what is writing? And she works through that topic and how it's a formative and a brain. This is a very evolutionary book. This is a secular title. This is not a Christian title. Uh, So she uses a lot of science and brain technology and how writing changes your brain and so on and so forth, which I'm going to give this like a one on the Thinkling's goodness scale and I'm done with it. I don't think I'm going to even go outside of chapter one and looking at the table of Hmm. contents because I don't really care that much. Um, But if you are like, what is writing definitionally and uh, why is it important to not simply regurgitate or take something from chat GPT or whatever, this would be a good book for you to check out. I just also want to throw in, I don't know, have we posted the episode about reading from Certeage yet? We haven't. So probably next Next week week. or in the coming weeks. And so this is just going to, you know, cue up that. AI is also being heavily marketed to help you read things. And so like you can scan a page of a text in 
and then it will yeah. automatically put text to voice for you. And it, it is marketed like, oh, this helps me read way faster. Well, shocker, you're not actually reading. And so that I would, I would say is a very dangerous way that AI has developed to undermine the faculty of actually reading for a student. And so don't do that. <laughs> like that, that would be the same thing as going to chat GPT and saying, write my paper. You're using like speechify to say, read my book for me. And, and you can get the content out of it, but you're not getting the forming of the reading. You're not, you're, you're undermining your own thinking. And it, so there's a danger in using that AI tool. Yeah. And she talks about that point as well. She has like, does writing alter our brains and then reading in the brain? And this gives you an idea of where she's at with things because she's talking about MRI scans of people who read and write and so on and so forth. So it's very evolutionary. Um, but um, this book does interact with that idea as well. So thanks for that. That's good. Dr. Doug, you want to give us just a really quick uh, intro to what we're talking about in the content here? So your article and then the rest of the podcast? Yeah, like I said before, it's just very personal. Over the last four years, all four of my wife's and my parents have passed away. But before that, we chose to take my, my, my in-laws into our home and take care of them. And so really challenged me to start thinking biblically, what does the Bible say about honoring your parents that way and just thinking through that. And so um, the article kind of is a reflection really kind of upon um, just taking care of aging parents. And, you know, it's been interesting because as soon as the article has been published, you know, a lot of people have been reaching out to us and it's like, if you're in that time of life, it's it's usually the kids that are reaching out to us. It's not so much the parents because I think the parents kind of recognize that they need help. Um, but most parents aren't willing to acknowledge that right away, but it's, it's been interesting because it's just, it's kind of, it kind of hits a nerve where people are at and they kind of see, Oh man, I need to think about this. I need to need to plan about this and talk about this with my family. So. Whoosh. Let's have a conversation about preparing for life's final transition. So I've, I've had the last, over the last four years, me and my wife have been going through um, a massive transformation in our lives in that all four of our parents have passed away. And what started this whole process in 2019 is that we decided collectively with my wife's family to take in her mom and dad into our house and to care for them. And so what that entailed is us leaving a house that we had lived in for 19 years, moving to a house that could accommodate them. And then we had Larry and Nancy move in with us and we, we cared for them for a while. They both have moved on and passed on with the Lord. And then my mom and dad, lived in their own house, but, but between my brother and me and our families, we really helped take care of my mom and dad in their final stages of life. And eventually they, they needed to go move on to a, a, a care center. But this provoked within me, um, biblically, what is my responsibility to my parents? And so I began to kind of, I ended up writing an article. Um, it's going to be a faith pulpit article. Uh, it also was published in Frontline Magazine, but just this, this is like, what, it, what, what are believers' responsibility to their parents? And so 
eventually, if your parents live long enough and you have the opportunity, you're a believer, you have an opportunity to take care of your parents. It's like, what, what does the Bible expect? What does God expect from this? And so what I found out is the Bible says a lot about taking care of your parents. Um, and so I'll just give you guys a, a super brief outline of what the Bible says about this. Um, um, first of all, we all know that death is a reality. And if we live long enough, we're, our bodies will become frail. So Psalm 71 talks about that your strength faileth, you know, and that you're going to fail. Um, we also know that honoring your mother and a father is a lifelong pursuit. So this is bound to the Ten Commandments, but it's repeated in Ephesians 4. And what we find out is that in passages like Mark 7 and 1 Timothy 5, that God expects us to honor our mother and father and even grandparents. This is actually, Paul even mentions this in 1 Timothy 5, in that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. And so then you get into passages like Psalm 127, which talk about that your kids are like a quiver of arrows and at the city gate, you'll not be put to shame. And I think that that's a reference to the fact that as you get older, parents um, need the protection of their kids. And so it's like this um, very interesting thing that your parents take care of you when you're younger and they protect you and they get you through those early years. But then as you progress in life, you need your kids and your kids actually then become your protector and, and caregiver. And I think this is interesting because in our society, we have like social security, we have social services, Medicare, Medicaid, all those kind of things. And we kind of almost expect, I think there's almost an expectation that the state will take care of our families, but that's not biblically the way it's done. Social, like the whole social structure we have in, in, in Western countries today is, is, is a fairly modern development. And I think it, it, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. So what, what the experiences that I had with my mom and dad I've learned a ton. And so in my article, I try to just bring out some, a ton of tips and advice to try to help both aging people to think about this ahead of time, but then also what would be advice to kids to think about this and actually start to start to plan and think, how can we then help our, my parents? And so that's kind of the, the basic gist of, of the article. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, as you're working through that, it just kind of made me recall a recent study in Proverbs chapter 30, and it talks about there's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. And uh, I was reading some commentators, and some of them brought up the responsibility that a young person would have to take care of their parents in their old age. And a failure to do that is like you're cursing your father, and you're refusing to bless your mother. And the section ends in like Proverbs thirty fourteen, a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like uh, knives to devour the poor off the earth and the needy from among men. And it's like they're anticipating mm -hmm. their death and they want them gone and out of the way. Um, so how that's a generation that's cursed and and a generation that that needs to be avoided in the Proverbs is speaking to articulate properly ordered society. Well, what is part of a properly ordered society? Children who take care of their 
elderly parents. Yeah. That is the plan, the biblical plan that God kind of lays out for us in the biblical scriptures. It's interesting that the same kind of challenge was happening in Jesus' day. Mm -hmm. So what you have is Jewish leaders were saying, you can take the resources that you have, your money you have, and instead of helping to honor your mother and father in their old age, you can give it to the temple system and call it Corbin, right? So this is Mark chapter seven, nine through like 13. And so they, the, this became the tradition of men, the, 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 the oral tradition. And so they, there was a way for them to legitimately skip the responsibility they had to their parents. And so people were doing this based upon the, the coaching they would get from the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're actually overthrowing the command of God to honor your mother and father. And so, you know, it, I, I do think that our, that people in our churches today are not really taking honestly what this might look like. And they're looking for ways out, convenient ways out to actually thinking through the responsibilities that they might have toward their parents. It's interesting the way it's justified. You can see it kind of gives you a nod to say, oh, look at all the money I gave. Like I'm doing a really good thing. It almost lets you feel more justified in abandoning your responsibility. It's interesting how I'm, I know this is a specific issue to aged parents, but how many times is there like a sin where the motivation that you use to excuse it is like that sort of a thing where like, oh man, I did this great sacrificial thing and see God's going to be more happy with this. So, okay, so what, what are some things you want our listeners to know about this that would be helpful for them? Oh, man. We, or do we, you just want to walk us through your article that's coming? Oh, I'll, I'll give you some of the tips, you know, but I, I just think, um, I, I, I think, like, one of the things, I, one of the main points I'm trying to make is that decline and death is inevitable, um, and just that. God never intends believers to go through that alone. Number one, they have the presence of God. Psalm 23, you know, we go through the valley of the shadow of death with the Lord, but it's also meant to be something that you go through that final transition with the love, support, and protection of your children. Hmm. That's the way God hmm. wants it to. And it, it's, it's honoring to God for, for kids to do that, you know? And so I'll just say taking in my mother, my mother-in-law and father-in-law was a great blessing, but it was also very difficult. Hmm. And so you can't just do this, um, on a whim. And I think that, um, you, you really have to think it through and you can be all in with your heart, but then you also have to realize that it's also very demanding. So there hmm. were, there were times where, um, like my wife, especially, was just completely exhausted and spent and mm. just in need of a break and a sabbatical. And so we actually reached a point with care for her father where we just like, we had to hire someone to come in one day a week just to give my wife a, a legitimate break and, and, and just so that she could get some rest and we could spend some time together as a family. Um, and so you just... You have to you have to really think through um, what you're doing and make sure that the other thing I think I, I think we found out is that it takes a lot of um, like communication and and getting 
all of the siblings on board and making sure that there's an agreement and understanding among all the siblings. Um, and, and just trying to make sure that you almost over communicate and, and, be, and with, with clarity so that everybody understands what's happening. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, um, comp- there, it can be very complex working with siblings and, and just having misunderstandings, hurt <laughs> feelings, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not naming any names now, are we? <laughs> <laughs> so what what are what are some of the practical tips? Okay, so let me just walk through I'll, I'll walk through my main points of the outline. Number one, take care of financial matters and legal matters ahead of time. So like if you don't have a will or a trust, if you haven't met with a lawyer, you need to. And you, and the other thing is this, is you need to explain to your children what is going on so that there is no mystery about things like who's going to be the executor, who's going to be the power of attorney, who's going to, who's going to help make medical decisions. You need to decide that before you start having a decline and make sure all the kids know about that. So this is amazing how many people have never even thought through, um, you know, what's going to happen to my house? What's going to happen to my resources? What's going to happen to the, all this? Um, so that, that, that's, that's really, really important. And, and I think to express your intentions to your kids. No, sir. Yeah. yeah. Going. So um, number, go ahead. So was that, was it, okay. So it's hard. You got to talk to like your kids and you talk to your siblings. When you were walking your parent or your, your in-laws through that, was it hard to walk as like one of the, younger generation walk them through it or was it just smooth sailing even with the in-laws? I think the, the older the, ones, the, the beautiful thing was both my parents who are now with the Lord and her parents were with the Lord had done a lot of that ahead of time. Oh, okay. So that was so, a blessing so, to you. But, but it was amazing of how many things were not done that then came up um, and okay. you know, so okay. uh, like even things like this, like I don't, I think right now we, we, you know, just, taking like your parents' house and all their possessions and, and, and somehow basically dissolving all of that, getting rid of all of that is incredibly uh, overwhelming um, and takes a ton of time. And it is, is complex. Let me, let me explain it like this. You know, everything has a value, but there's different kinds of values. So there, for example, there's a sentimental value for some things. Oh yeah. But then there's a monetary value and not everybody sees the same values for things. Does that make sense? <laughs> this is where you and sell so, the thing. So, that's like, so <laughs> that's where if you can think through, like even literally if a parent can actually say, Hey, I need to get rid of this stuff ahead of time and downsize and get to the point where everything is more spelled out and their intentions are clear, then it, it, it actually helps the children. Hmm. It, it's like the most loving thing you can do for your children is to just How take, to is to take care of those things wow. so that they don't have to think about it. And it's just like you're following mom and dad's intentions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that it really does. I don't, I mean, my parents are not to that point where we're having to take care of them at all, but I mean, they've even started like little things. I've heard them say like, Oh, we want to mom will clean stuff out or whatever. But even like when Robin died, I had to like, I know this is like a little thing, but I had to buy a funeral plot for her, like a burial plot. And so I like bought my own at the same time. So 
like when I go, Evan and Abby don't have to like think about it. This is a little thing, but I can understand now where as that day approaches more closely as you're old, that would be an issue. Right. And definitely the will thing had, it was not a, affecting me at all. I definitely don't need to think about that. Like one of the things that my in-laws <laughs> had done is they, they had actually prepaid their funeral expenses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the same thing. And they, they same. made all those decisions. They already had it all made out. They actually had a stone. It's just like what a blessing typing in what the date or sort of like carving in the date. Oh, that's nice. And so those things were just so much of a blessing. And, but my mom and dad had not done that. Oh. And so now, you know, we, we, my brother and I basically did it for them. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, it's just, it's, if you think about, if you love your kids and you want your family to stay together after you're gone, you need to kind of as much as you can plan that out as possible. Okay. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's actually my second point is to plan the transfer of property and possessions. Um, and you know, it's, it's like, unfortunately this isn't really the case in my family, but unfortunately a lot of times money can become very divisive among siblings and your children. And so you just got to really, I I'm just shocked. I, after I wrote this article, I've actually been getting a lot of people saying to me, um, Oh yeah, I wish we had done this because it's been so divisive in our family. And that is hurtful. I think if you if your parents knew how divisive it would be, they would have done things ahead of time to stop it, you know? Hmm. Um, uh, the other big elephant in the room is end of life care. So I don't know if you guys, do you guys, do you guys have any idea of how much it costs to go into a care center for a month? A good I, one. So <laughs> it's a lot. I just know that like uh, someone who is in the neighborhood had this happen and like just dropped some numbers to me. And I think I was shocked and I forgot them already, but it's, it's not like in the hundreds, it's like way up like thousands. Like you burn through your retirement really fast it is it is it really is, fast yeah exactly it's like um you know tens of thousands of dollars um and so i think like everybody hopes they just die in their sleep right we all hope that that just happens you don't have to go what through we, this oh, but, what, what are we talking here we're talking like yeah three thousand a month no more ten thousand a month i mean i want to be very I, I'm pretty sure it's it's closer to that. Yeah, it's closer to ten thousand for a, a really for one that is now. Social services will help. So, like, if you go to Medicaid, if you have no resources, you go to Medicaid. You can go to a nursing home. But the the nicer in homes typically don't take people that are on Medicaid. Sure. And not all nursing homes or care centers are the same. Okay, you just have to realize uh, we were in one, and we had my mom and dad go to a different one because they just were not getting good care. Yeah. Huh. So not at all the same, but sort of related when we were trying to find out where we were going to take Robin, like what, what hospice house we were looking at the Kavanaugh house and it came very highly regarded, like Mm -hmm. very good, but there's like, you can stay there so long. And then if you're still there, they start charging you by the day and all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh man. So I talked to someone on the phone, they're throwing out numbers and I'm thinking this could be like five, 10 grand, depending on how long we stay here. And then they realized, oh, yeah, Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance. You're not on Medicaid. Oh, no charge. Like everything's fine. And it was all because Medicaid, I think it's so burdened by the system because there's so many people who haven't prepared that they knew that it would only pay so much and then we were going to have to pay more. So that's really interesting that Medicaid will cover certain ones, but the really excellent ones are probably looking for more than that. Yes. It's just a, uh, it's, 
It is definitely a racket. <laughs> a racket. <laughs> but and there's it's just it's just it's just astronomical how expensive it is. So then you get to people who like with end of life care insurance. It's, it's, it's a very, and I'm not a lawyer, mm-hmm. so don't take my advice like in the sense of, but I'm just saying you need to have a plan for that and really kind of think through. And if you're able to save enough money, it's not going to be an issue. Like, you know, um, we weren't really sure if my mom and dad were going to have enough, but they ended up having enough. God took care of them through that whole time. Um, we considered maybe taking my mom and dad into my household and we just decided that it was going to be, they were already to the point where we couldn't do it. So our resources in our home weren't, weren't going to be adequate, um, even though we were willing to do that. And so it just, if you haven't ever considered that, you need to think it through and kind of like think through how can I help my children do this, but then how can I help mom and dad through that time? It is, you know, I think that's, it's, it's really important. Um, uh, another idea or another thing is just to, plan and prepay your funeral and burial expenses. Oh yeah, baby. That's it's, expensive. It is expensive. And, but you, you think about that. It is, it was wonderful to walk into the, to the funeral home and Larry and Nancy had planned it all out. We, they had a whole page. They want these songs sung. They want this to be done. This is where they're going to be buried. This is, they already have their tombstone. I mean, it was just like, wow. It was like, mm-hmm. and then it became a blessing. Yeah. Rather than scrambling to try to figure all this out. That was, we had to do that before for Robin. I'm not trying to, I know this is not about no. that, but it's, it's very similar. Yes. You and had a chance to took, prepare those. It things. took so much time for me and her just to pick out the headstone and like the design and what verse and is there going to be a symbol and how will it be set up? And we were able to do that before she died. But I was just thinking for people, I, w- I was talking, we, I said this multiple times to Robin and she said it to me, if this had happened after she died, it would have been in a very short time window. It would have all been on my shoulders and I would have been grieving. And so that's really great that they go and then you were able to just follow the plan right. and it, was, it, it wasn't anything huge. So that's a huge blessing. That really is. Yes. Yes. So, um, Number five was communicate with your children about your plans. And I would say even just try to over communicate that. And um, I know some families like are like, Hey, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want, but the thing is we're all headed that direction. Why not talk about it ahead of time and prepare your kids for that so that they are ready for that. And, and that they've started to prepare. They've started to think through what that looks like. I think that that's just really, 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 really helpful. So that, that that's advice that I give to to aging parents, and you got to do that before things <laughs> start happening. Then the the last part of the article is where I get, try to give advice to people who are children. Okay, um, and so I think if you really love your parents, number one, you have to prioritize your parents' welfare. What is the best thing for them? And trying to, to, to ask the question, how can I really honor them? How can I really love them? It might be that taking them in your home is the best way you can do that. But if you can't provide the best care for them, maybe that's not the best thing for them. Even though it might be the, sentimentally the thing that you want to do, I think you have to ask yourself, what can we do and what is in their best interest? And so th- those are really, really tough things to kind of think through. Um, uh, 
Secondly, just kind of consider all the options. <laughs> um, there are a lot of really great services out there. Some of them are paid for. Some of them are free. Some of them are paid. You have to pay for them yourself or, or pay for them from, from maybe insurance or something like that. But, you know, we found out um, there was just a, a, a plethora of things out there that we just needed to kind of figure out. And so if you can... We, 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 like, for example, my mom and dad had stays in the hospital and we found out from social workers, just tons of options of things that we could do to help my mom and dad having someone coming in clean. Um, and we had a, a godly, um, neighbors that helped my mom and dad out a ton. And it was just amazing how God provided, but just think about the different kinds of, of options that you could, you could get. And I, I think that's another point that I make is just, is that don't be afraid to seek the help from others. So there were times where we need to maybe even bring someone in to spell my wife or just so that we could, you know, I went, I would go out for speaking for a weekend and it's, it's, it's like my wife is pretty much bound to the house. She can't leave, mm -hmm. but we were able to get maybe um, someone with some special skill to come in and just get my wife to be able to leave for a day or two so that we could go out and maybe go to like a different city and speak. Um, but just, recruiting people like we had people in my church that would just volunteer and say hey can we come help watch larry for the evening or something and so you can go to that that banquet at faith or you know could we could we do and it was just like you know i i, I readily started to ask people for help because we just needed to kind of we needed that help you know and so i think that if you have more than one sibling in the area i would like work with them to say, hey, can we work together to maybe try to like do some care things together? But I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say this is that it would probably be a good idea to even maybe have that written down. Oh, interesting. And and have it not just in principle form, but actually say, okay, on these days you're gonna come. Hmm. On these days I'm gonna we're gonna be here, and actually kind of have it spelled out very clearly, so that there's no um, expectations on either party's part that are misunderstood. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. Because <laughs> in a situation like that, everyone's processing it in real time. Everyone's like, what's going on? And then if you're not communicating, you're probably logicking it out in your own brain. And you probably think it makes logical sense to you, but if you assume the other person knows it and then they don't, I could see where that would be a source of what they call family drama. And maybe long-term offense. Exactly. And I, 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 I'm thankful that my siblings and we, you know, we really, it drew us together, which is, I think, what it should do. Hmm. But it's amazing if you just poke around in your churches or poke around with different people you know, this can become an incredibly divisive issue. Finances can be very divisive, but even just how a family cares for their parents can be divisive. Hmm. and. Um, not all siblings agree. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that, that can be, that can be hard. So I think like parents have to choose like a power of attorney and executor. If they don't do that, then it's gonna, it's gonna, it can result in a train wreck hmm. if, if, uh, you don't have at least one person who kind of is in charge of those decisions. Hmm. The other thing I just say is over is communicate with your family really with your with both with your parents but also with everybody in the family so that everybody is on board with things and i just uh 
I just think that that was so important. So like something simple we did with our, with all of our siblings, we just created like a WhatsApp chat, WhatsApp chat among my siblings. Mm. And we just would, would literally almost every day, give them an update. Everybody who's living around the world, I have a sister who lives overseas and I have a sister who lives in Virginia. My brother and I live here and just, we were just constantly giving them updates about how mom and dad are doing. And it gave us a way to kind of do some, you know, chats and things like that, even video chats just with mom and dad. Huh. So um, Android does have a way to do what Apple does already baked in <laughs> innately. Oh, sorry. Did I make an Android jab in the middle of this? My apologies. Any Android users out there, I'm, I'm sorry for making fun of your phone. Carry on. Do you Dr. use Android? Android? Yes, he does. Exclusively. He does. I am he wrecks our group chats at church. I am super cheap. He does. He does. I am I'm super like, cheap, man. I always love it when you have like a, a friend, you're like texting them all the time, and then you got to move to Facebook Messenger because it does things that like Android doesn't. I'm like, come on, get an iPhone. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. Not even related. My apologies. This is how you love your family. <laughs> Buy an iPhone. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. It's that no, was, no, that was no, un, that's, unrelated that's, aside, but I can't help but so pick funny. at Dr. Doug from it. So communicate. <laughs> yeah, just Charlie's I mean, like the anchor of this episode. What's going on? <laughs> but just to create, um, you know, we just we just found that over like I, I almost at times like oh, might feel like you're over communicating. But just continually trying to update people, help people understand what's going on. Um, I think that those those are are just really really important. So, I think it, as Trisha's dad reached where he was really just really declining, and my wife was getting very little sleep. Actually, I just I realized as a husband, we needed to try to. I needed to really watch out for my wife in addition to our father-in-law. Right. And mm. so, you know, and so, um, hiring some people to come in and help getting some help was critical for us to kind of keep Larry in our house as long as we could. And that was, um, important that we started to, it just, it just changed the dynamic. Once I, I started to realize that we needed to, we needed to get help. And then we started communicating that to the siblings and just letting them know. I mean, we were going to use some of Larry's resources to to hire some people to be able to do this. And and it was amazing. They were like, yeah, you need to do that. And so it was, it was everybody was on board of that. Um, but it just kind of started to, we, it, we reached a point where we just, we, we realized that we couldn't do it by ourselves anymore mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and we needed help. And, and uh, we didn't know exactly what that would look like. And it, and it you know, I just, what we ended up doing is I ended up hiring someone for 24 hours on one day of the week. And so someone would come in for a 12 hour shift and they just kind of watched and stayed through the night. So Trisha Hmm. could sleep and then they stayed, we had another person come in and do a 12 hour shift the next day and just took care of Larry's meals and helped him. And so we could get away a little bit and kind of just have a little bit of a break. And that was just so critical for Trisha's health and welfare. Um, so I just had a couple of questions. I don't know if you want to answer them all or not, but what was it like for your kids? So you have your, your father-in-law in the home. He's, he's failing health and this is going on. What was it like for them? If you don't want to say anything specific, that's fine. What was it like? And then do you have any advice? So I was, I was thinking of like our audience. So we've got college students, we got pastors, we got like various family members. So like, what was it like for the kids and, and any thoughts you give our listeners? 
I, I, think, I think some are probably really scared of keeping this in the home. But I, was it that scary? I think it's I think it's awesome. I actually think it's a huge blessing. Um number one, they got to spend tons and tons of time with grandma and grandpa. Mm-hmm. So like meal times. Even though grandma and grandpa are declining, they get to spend time with grandma and grandpa. And grandma and grandpa are part of like our household. So like they're hmm. seeing okay. like birthday parties and mm. they're seeing like all the joyful things. And sometimes they're seeing things that were, you know, kids aren't behaving right. And so they're kind of seeing <laughs> the ins and outs of that. But, but grandma and grandpa are front and center of what's a family life for us. And like, even before Nancy passed away, she, we had a really, we had a night where we out in the living room and, People were playing instruments. We were just kind of like playing music hmm. and talking. And and she just said, this is awesome. She's hmm. just like, I just enjoy this so much. Wow. And so, you know, those are like one of the like best memories hmm. of, of her time with us. Um, I think it's actually, believe it or not, I mean, like there were critical times where we called the ambulance in the middle of the night or at different times where Larry was failing. and you know, all of the kids are gathered around grandpa as he's on the floor. Hmm. And, you know, we, we hmm. might've asked them to get out a time or two, but just even just seeing that, you know, they're, they're crying and upset, but I actually think it was really instrumental. It's an educational point to realize, Hey, death is real. Decline hmm. is real. Yep. And it became an opportunity to disciple your kids. It became an opportunity to talk about things, you know, and, and thankfully, I think for three out of the four grandparents, all of my kids were with them when they passed away. Wow. And the only reason we weren't with Nancy is because it was COVID and we couldn't get into the hospital. Wow. But to have us all gathered around singing hymns. What an experience. Yeah. Just so I, I just think wow. that is, you, you know, you could say, Hey, we need to shield our kids from all these things. But that, this is, this is real life. This is, this is, yeah. this is the consequences of sin. And this is, this is where, yeah. you know, I think this is, this, it, it brings sobriety and seriousness to yeah. the, the parenting process. And your kids to, to, not be too specific about details. If you don't want anything out there, they're all in high school or higher or middle or high school. Correct. And so I would say like, we were very careful with our kids, but they're so much younger, but I also know my entire life. I never was around anyone who died Mm -hmm. until I sat there next to Robin. And I do think there's something instructive about watching someone pass and then seeing like, this is sin. This is the curse. Yes. And life, like life is for keeps. This is not like a game. And so to think that you could be in middle school or high school and like see that I could see where, and you know, that's something's lost because of our, our health care in our world. Like that doesn't, we don't see that as often. Yeah. And so to be there, you know, I don't know, you're always torn because, uh, when, when you, when your parents are declining, you feel their pain and their suffering, you're with them. And when they are able to, go to heaven if they're believers it's like joy it's like relief it's like wow they made Hmm. it you know they they got they got there 
Yep. And so, yeah, there's grief. There's real grief. But you're like rejoicing that God has taken them home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it, actually, to be honest with you, all of my mom, my mom and dad, my and 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 Larry and Nancy, they were all looking for it. They're all looking across the Jordan, you know, going, hey, we, it's time yeah. to go to the promised land. Let's yep. get going. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were ready. Yeah. And that is a huge dynamic. But I, I actually think these principles would work even if your parents are not believers. Mm-hmm. And that is, would bring up an interesting dynamic as well. Do either of you have questions? I don't want to like monopolize. No, you could give your other one. So if you could go back and like do things over, is there anything that you look back and think, I did it this way, but after walking this, I would actually do it this way. Is there anything like that? And if you don't, that's fine. And if you don't want to say, that's fine. (laughs) Well, it's just interesting for your entire life. Your mom and dad are kind of like your authority figures. But once they reach the point where they begin to decline, they no longer, their ability, their judgment begins to slip a little bit. And they, they begin to, you know, you're always asking them to like to make decisions, stuff like this, but there comes a point where you have to start making decisions for them. Hmm. <laughs> like I remember one time, I, this is kind of a funny story. It's like, this happened a few times where my dad would get these phone calls and people are just predators. They call and, you know, my dad had given out like all this personal information and we're like, dad, what'd you just do? And we're, we're calling and canceling credit cards and we're just like scrambling and we realized we just, you know, my dad, who was incredibly savvy financially and all this kind of stuff his entire life, he's starting to make bad decisions. Hmm. Huh. So then it, it, it's like, it's a really, really, really tough thing. When do you start to take over and take away their liberties and freedoms and hmm. say, we, we need to actually make these decisions for you? It's kind of like that Psalm 27. When do you stand in the gate for them and make sure they're not hmm. put to shame? Hmm. Huh. Wow. And so... You know, and if you follow the argument of the psalm, it's like we are the arrows. We're like this offensive warriors to kind of go out and defend your parents and protect them. And so I'll give you another illustration. My dad loved driving. And I was, you know, if you take away their license, you're taking away their freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, they can't just go to Walmart. My mom loved to go to Walmart. (laughs) <laughs> well, tell you what, if it's you don't have a license, you can't go to Walmart. <laughs> and those are just really, really hard things. But yeah, at some point you say, you know what? You're just not a good driver anymore. Mm. And you're causing, you could potentially kill yourselves or hurt someone or, or someone else. And it's just like, we just, you know, see. And so I was so thankful when my dad willingly gave up his license. And, and that was, I remember that day where, where Larry had a near almost a, you know, a really bad accident take place. And he's like, I shouldn't be driving anymore. And so those were wonderful moments to kind of like, but those are like big, big decisions. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if I could redo it, I think that is that you, you just, you have to talk through with your parents, maybe a point where you say, you know, at some point we need to start making these decisions for you. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what this is the key is that a parent needs to begin to recognize I won't be able to make all these decisions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give you the keys to the hmm. kingdom now. Yeah. <laughs> so that wow. 
you can willingly make these decisions for me. It's just, it's just, there's a lot of tension in that, in that, in, the, in those moments. And, uh, <laughs> it was so funny. My dad was really declining. And when my mom passed away, he thought he could go back home. Well, his apartment, oh. I mean, the, 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 the condo they had was gone. <clears throat> all their stuff was gone and we had sold all their stuff. And, and like, like that, you can't just go back. <laughs> and it was like, and he's like, well, can we, can, <laughs> this is so funny. He goes, he, he's like, I just want to get an RV and go for it. Like go out on the road again. <laughs> and he asked our neighbors if he would just, if they would buy an RV with him and go. That sounds like a great decision. <laughs> Grip and rip. <laughs> I mean, I have so many funny stories like that. They were just like, dad, you just can't do that. And, um, and it is hard because I mean, so now here's, I'm the youngest son and I'm telling my dad, no, you can't do this. But it, but it's like if, if we had worked out maybe like five years earlier, hmm. when do we hmm. work? In other words, if, if my parents had said, okay, we know this could potentially happen. We'll work these things out ahead of time and communicate those things. And so it would have been way easier for us to be able to kind of say, okay, we've kind of reached that point. We talked about this. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. It's hard. All right. Well, there's a Faith Pulpit article and we'll link it. We can link it, right? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So we'll put that in the show notes. You can all go and read it. And then, uh, yeah, thanks for being on. And uh, any, what's your last thought about the article that you want people to take with them? Well, I'll just read the final conclusion here. Is that caring for parents is a divinely appointed interruption to our busy lives and agendas. And I'm sure that many look at such care as an overwhelming burden, but on the contrary, Trisha and I consider it a wonderful blessing to care for our parents. It's both a great responsibility and a great privilege. And so I just think, may God grant us wisdom as we care for our parents. Deuteronomy 6, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 5, 16 states, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. What does it mean to honor your parents? That's a broad command. It's broad for a reason, because that idea of honoring them is going to look different in different situations, different circumstances. In this episode, we were able to hear how um, Dr. Doug was sought to do that. He sought to honor his parents. And for us, especially as sinful humans, we want to choose the path that's the path of least resistance. We want to have an easy life that's pleasurable to us. And so we have to be mindful of what am I really seeking here? What am I really, what's really driving my heart's desire to do one, choose one path or another path? Um, And we need to keep first and foremost, okay, I have a responsibility to take care of my parents, to honor them. This idea is in uh, Proverbs chapter 30 as well, when it talks about the ordering of a, pro- of a properly ordered society. A properly ordered society understands that parents properly take care of their children, and then at some point that the children 
properly take care of the parents. And I'm just going to close with Proverbs chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords, and whose fangs are like knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. And I would encourage you, what is what is your goal? What is it that you want um, in life? And first and foremost, you should want life. And you should pursue uh, life, and, and life in uh, its fullest sense, and as God defines it, uh, for your for your parents. Not seeking to curse, but to honor and honor your parents in the way that um, and that w- would be honoring to them. Uh, come to God with an open hand, being willing to uh, serve and to love, and then live that out in your situation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.